stationary. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, <laughs> that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. Comics catch up. We're going to read some comics. We're going to read some comics. You always do the singing thing, Matt, and I thought I would give it a shot. It was very good. 
I I enjoyed it. I was rocking out for a minute. And it feels very appropriate to our selection for Comics Catch-Up here in October. Is this the first Comics Catch-Up we've done, like like Halloween-themed, that we've done? Or did we do one last year? This is the first one, I think, where we chose what we're reading. We We didn't do a poll. We just decided this is what we're doing. Yeah, when we discovered the existence of this comic, I was like, well, that's October sorted. Yeah, so th- this requires a little bit of explanation. So... You like podcasts, right, listener? <laughs> you like podcasts, right? I'm not actually a regular listener to the My Brother, My Brother, and Me podcast. I, Much like I feel like people feel about this show, it, it's a lot to catch up to. And I know I probably don't <laughs> need to start at the beginning, but that feels weird to like just start randomly somewhere. I definitely feel like much like this show, you do not need to start at the beginning. Uh, but there is much like the best show. There is like a, a sort of, it takes a while to wire your brain to that language. If that makes sense. And I feel like my brain is somewhat wired to that language. Cause I do listen to the adventure zone. I I'm familiar with other McElroy family projects. Do you want to rank them? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I started with Monster Factory first. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. But I I did listen. I have been listening to the Adventure Zone for a, a while, and I've listened to every episode of that. I'm not a My Brother, My Brother and Me listener, but I do. There are clips of the show to like little animatics and animations on YouTube that pop up in my YouTube recommendations sometimes. Yeah, those, there's a lot of those that are very, very good. Yeah, and I'll watch those. I'll watch those occasionally. There's the one where Griffin says the language he took in high school was the language of love and how they called him Porky Pig. <laughs> but what is left out of certain versions of that one is the best part, where Justin calls him a dumb piece of shit. <laughs> there's a lot of that in the best, like the best clips from that show, is Justin getting mad. At, like like crying and getting angry at, at how funny something is, and I think my favorite one of those is when they're they're talking about um, say it with donuts, like they're doing like a like a Munch Squad, I think. Yeah, Dunkin' Donuts has this thing where it's like this Valentine's Day, say it with donuts, and Travis is like, oh, you know what I like to say with donuts, and they go what, and he goes ooh, and that that kills Justin. <laughs> For for good reason. Also, well, just while we're real quick on the subject, if you go watch one clip, I think it's a Louis Zhang has animated for uh, from my brother, my brother, and me. Go watch the one where, much in the same way that I have a talent for like dropping acronyms at the drop of a hat, Griffin busts out a song about ice cream with zero prep time, zero prompting. And it cannot be replicated. It's bananas. Uh, if you Google Griffin ice cream song, I'm sure you'll 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 find it. The clip relevant to this comics catch up though is a clip that I saw on YouTube, where a, a writer, a comics writer, 
who is a friend of War Rocket Ajax. He's been on the show. We've talked about his comics a lot. Christopher Hastings is at a live show, and he asks the boys a question about how he should deal with having been ripped apart in a review by their dad, Clint McElroy. We never find out what the comic is that Hastings wrote that Clint McElroy didn't like. I have a guess. Do you think it's Gwynpool? I don't think it's Gwynpool. I don't. Okay. I think it's Longshot. Possibly. Because I think that one lines up like timeline-wise, and I feel like Longshot is a character that people have a lot of strong feelings about, especially comics readers of a certain age, which I think Clint McElroy would, would fit there. Makes sense. We never find out what the comic is that Clint McElroy was highly critical of that Christopher Hastings wrote. But he was highly critical of a comic that Christopher Hastings wrote. And Hastings basically asks the boys, what should I do about this? And one of them suggests, I think it might be Griffin, suggests Hastings writing a highly critical review of one of Clint's comics. This makes Justin McElroy very defensive. (laughs) Yes, it does. Justin is not only well familiar with, but a fan of his dad's comics. And he goes on to list a number of comics that Clint McElroy not only wrote, but also ghost wrote. Yeah, he did ghost write more than a few. The one that really piqued our interest, though, that Justin I, mentions. Well, and we should Clint say, having written. and we should say, if, if you are a fan, um, again, almost certain, even though it's credited to, to all of them, Clint almost certainly did, like, I think definitely did the scripting on the Adventure Zone graphic novels, and I think probably did the scripting on the uh, War of the Realms tie-in that we actually ended up liking quite a bit. Yeah. Clint, they may have all brainstormed the story together, but I would guess Clint probably did the scripting. Yeah. On all of those. Because Clint is an experienced comics writer. He's written quite a few things. One we were not familiar with until I listened to that clip is a 1992 Eclipse Comics series. It's actually part of the uh, Eclipse FX line which I think was their horror line, Mm -hmm. called Blood is the Harvest. (laughs) It's a four-issue miniseries that Clint McElroy wrote with... The artist on the first issue is Wayne Losey, or Losey. And then, by issue two, the artist has changed to Luciano Quieras. I think his might be how you Kieros, say Kieros, I think, maybe? Kieros. Uh, and then he finishes out all three of those last three issues. Yeah. It is a wild ride, and we will talk about it. Clint McElroy wrote all four issues. There's clearly an attempt here, I think, to start a franchise that does not get off the ground. It's definitely like, this could be the first in the Blood is the Harvest series. Which would which apparently that was not they mentioned the name on that uh, in that bit from my brother my brother and me which I think is like not not the name that he wanted it to have which makes well, sense because it's a it's a wild name for anything 
Well, do you know the origin of that title? Just the just salt of the earth? Living off the land man in, in West Virginia? He knows that when you plant the blood, the blood is then the harvest. Well, it, it makes no sense as just like a random title for this comic. Because it's not about farming. It's not about like vampire farmers, which you would think would be what it would be about. It's not even really about harvesting blood. It's not about harvesting, period. It's about vampires as business people. It's about vampires having gone corporate. That is stated outright in the book that like vampires figured out a way to really e- exist nowadays. They went corporate. Yeah, the vampires they're they're evil uh they're evil bloodsuckers who who destroyed society. So of course, they went corporate. Which actually pretty good metaphor. I yeah. don't b- blame the book for doing that. But like you would think the title would be about like something having to do with business. It would be like blood is the dividend. <laughs> okay. All right. That's that's possible. We'll put that in the maybe pile. The reason the book is called Blood is the Harvest though is that it is a reference to a comic book from 1950 published by the uh, Catechetical Guild Education Society in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. It is a single-issue anti-communist comic book that is basically like anti-communist propaganda. Okay. It's very rare. There are only a few copies that exist, but it was a giveaway during the Cold War to show the evils of communism. Uh, and like the cover is like communists with red stars on their hats performing like a firing squad execution. Okay. And this is, you said 54, 50. right? 1950. Okay. 1950. So this is like roughly immediately pre Wortham. Yes. I mean, I guess it would have been in the EC era, so it kind of fits in with that. But it is 100% like a a propaganda comic. Yeah, yeah. It is wild. But it was also like directed at children and and made with the encouragement of like parents and teachers. Cuz this you know, you're right in the middle of this I think this was the second red scare. And this is like absolute fully red scare propaganda. Yeah, this is this is full on like duck and cover times. Yes. So somebody, the only thing I could figure, especially if Clint didn't want to call it this, somebody at Eclipse remembered this comic from nineteen fifty. Was that comic called Blood is the Harvest? It was called Blood is the Harvest. Okay. Because that rules, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Remembered that book from 1950 and was like, oh, we should call it this. We can copyright the name of this, like, propaganda comic from the 50s. And there's nothing else that's called that. It has to be a reference to that 1950 comic. Which nobody reading this in 1992 would know. No, absolutely not. Like, 1992, the height of people not caring about back issues. <laughs> D- am I wrong? Well, people cared about 
speculation, but of current comics. Not yeah, of people back- cared about like yeah. number ones, but like you would, Matt, you would be surprised if you went back and looked at how much like an action comics number one was going for in the nineties, the early nineties during the boom. Are you you're saying it's like a surprisingly low amount? Surprise, shockingly low. Interesting, because because people were buying number ones because they except expected like the value of you know X Men number one to be as high as that of Action Comics number one. Yeah, but it was all about what was hot th- now. Like that was the deal with like it, the speculation. Like there were stores, uh, as there probably still are, but like there were definitely stores that did not have like back issues at all. Like. The the speculator market of the early nineties, bananas, fully bananas. Well, while we're talking about comic industry t- trends of the nineteen nineties, boy oh boy, is this all of them, Matt? Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and look, I will say this. I will say this about uh, this comic because a we're here in good fun. We're here in good fun. We're not we're here, here to like tear down Clint. Yeah. No. And look. I feel like if we're in a competition, he's winning. <laughs> I'm comfortable saying that. Sure. Uh, Clint actually emailed me once in 2007, uh, back when I was uh, an up-and-coming comics blogging superstar. I don't recall writing back. I don't think I have a reply saved in my email. Um, if if you happened to listen to this for whatever reason, Clint McElroy, I hope I was not a jerk to you, and I'm sorry if I was. <laughs> That applies to anyone who emailed me between, let's say, 2005 and, well, let's say, 2019. <laughs> yeah, good to, good to like, really cover all your bases there. Yeah, man. Uh, but yeah, this is, it, this thing is, is nearly 30 years old. 28 years old. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it is very, very much, like, it could not have been. More 1992. That said, in a lot of ways, it's like maybe five years ahead of its time, and we'll get into that too. Well, here's some thing that some things that makes it not necessarily in the realm of 1992 comics. It is a black and white book. Yeah, it's definitely the the waning edge of this is like the the waning edge of the 80s black and white boom because it feels like an 80s like indie comic from that era and boy does it look like it i think that is to make it have it fit in with horror comics of the era Mm -hmm. because a lot of horror comics from the 80s and early 90s were in black and white as a way to avoid the comics code i don't know if this was magazine sized but it definitely is black and white and it doesn't have a comics code logo on the cover. No, nah, man, this is from eclipse, baby. It's from, it's from eclipse FX, the penumbra, but it's not exactly what I would call like a mature reader's book. Like there's not, a, there's not really any cussing in here. There's some blood. There's almost no cussing. There's a lot of violence, but it's yeah. like, it's, it's all action movie violence. Like ve- this is very much like, like an action movie on on paper. It's an action movie take on a vampire story. Yes, absolutely, and it's very nineties in that approach. 
Because here's the premise of blood is the harvest. Blood is the harvest. Blood, you know, blood. Mm-hmm. You might think it's the harvest, but actually, it's the dividend. <laughs> here's the deal. Uh huh. There's these two vampire hunters. Their names are Milo Deep and Nikita Wide. That's right, deep and wide. Is that the worst thing about the entire story? I think it might be. Here's my favorite thing about it. When they are introduced to who we think is going to be like an important lead character, uh, her name is Ms. Josephs. They introduce themselves as Deep and Wide, and she says, Deep and Wide? Like the hymn? And Nikita says, never heard of it. And Milo goes, we don't get to church much. Is there anything more baby boomer from West Virginia? (laughs) Naming his two action movie vampire hunter characters after a Baptist hymn. It's it's pretty... It's... it's pretty on the nose, Matt. I like, love it, though. I, f- I identified with it very much. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like a better reference, though, would have been like like the, like the Tina Turner song? <laughs> I, no, I guess that's Deep and High. Never mind. Yeah. Deep and Wide is, sure. is definitely just the hymn, and Clint... <laughs> Clint just wanted to put some religious stuff in his book, I guess. Here's the weird thing. They say they're not religious, but their their boss, who's like a minor character in this, until he's not, and I have a theory, uh, like, is dressed, like, he's dressed like a, not not a priest, but like, 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 almost like a witchfinder general, honestly. <laughs> but like, you're you're talking about the caretaker. I'm talking about the caretaker. Yeah. Uh, would you like to hear my theory, Matt? Sure. He's Jesus Christ. Maybe if the series had been able to progress, we would have learned the backstory of the caretaker. Yeah, because he has magic powers. They call him teacher. They they call him teacher, and very like pointedly mysterious. And also, uh, uh, Milo Deep has the Holy Grail. <laughs> that he's sure. turned into a glove for punching vampires, which also rules, actually. So, they are vampire hunters, and they are challenging. They are going up against the new corporate vampires that have like taken over vampiredom. And... Specifically, the vampires in this series all work for a corporation called Lamia International. Now, as is often the case in these kind of action stories, we think there's one boss, and then there turns out to be another boss that is above her. Mm-hmm. So there's like a uh, like a boss reveal. Yes, uh, that is a big hap- thing that happens. Like Ms. Rubric, we think Ms. Rubric is like the lead boss of the company. Let's, She's the CEO. I do want to do a quick rundown of the names in this story because they are fully wild. <laughs> they're like they're like the names from from like a Jonathan Latham book. <laughs> like it's <laughs> there's there's deep and wide, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Lisa Rubric. Lisa Rubric is that's wild. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. The the person who Deep and White are trying to help out uh, is named Marilyn, but it's spelled Mary Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E. Yeah. Uh, Marilyn Josephs. Like Marion Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. Har- What's the guy's name? Harland? Harland Sorok. Harland Sorok with a C. It's it's wild. It's wild. There's also like the big hulking vampire whose name I'll have to remind myself of. Maraud. His name Mar- is Maraud. Okay, it's Maraud spelled M apostrophe R A U D, which yeah. is if you wondered if Clint McElroy was the kind of person who would have a lot of opinions on Longshot. <laughs> I should tell you. So we we get in the third issue a little bit of backstory about how Deep and Wide met. So uh, Deep, Milo Deep, his life dream was to buy a drive-in movie theater and operate it as like the start of him owning his own like chain of movie theaters. Yeah. Very unfortunately, his drive-in is called the Rona Drive-In. Not kidding. That's what it's called. It's called the Rona. The Which Rona. I'm not. I'm not sure what that would be. I don't Do, I have like, no clue. I mean, it could just be like. It could just be like Corona because they just look. Corona just means crown. It just means crown. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, very very unfortunate from uh, here in 2020. Maybe Clint made it like a gag about the periodic table or something. I have no clue. I know NA is sodium. I don't know what RO is. Hmm. Okay. It. I. Who knows what it's supposed to be? But anyway, he is trying to get his projector working. Not long after buying the the drive-in, when uh, wide. Nikita Wide comes crashing in, fighting a fully batted out vampire. She comes crashing through the screen, and he has to help her kill that vampire. Yeah. Then they decide to like join up and join forces. That's kind of all we ever learn about Milo. Like he's just a guy who owns a drive-in. We do learn some stuff about Nikita Wide. She is from. Somewhere in Central Europe. I can't Matt. remember what country. Matt. She's Romanian. Of she's course Romanian. she's Romanian. She's Romanian. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. She's Romanian, and she came to the United States to compete in the Miss Olympia comp- competition. Yeah. She's she's jacked as shit. She's like literally like this like this is also like a big action movie reference. She's she's a a, a, a lady Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because he yeah, exactly. was Mr. Olympia from yeah. Austria. Yeah. So she's from Romania and was going to be Miss Olympia. She <laughs> I forget why she quits. Why she doesn't do that. Well, she gets I think the whole thing is that um vampires are have like infiltrated the competition. Well, I thought for some reason she lost the competition or the competition didn't happen and that's why she signed up for this experimental drug trial. Yeah, let me see if I can find it. Uh, the, the actual backstory of that, because in the, I, I'll give this to this four issues, no doubt, a hundred percent. 
It is crammed with story. Oh, it is. It is chock full in a way that, like, I honestly, if we're in, if we do high points, which I don't remember if we do that on this show, but we definitely don't. We don't. Then I would say, like, the pacing in this is spot on. It's a little weird in what it chooses to skip over sometimes, but it is like every issue goes and, and, and builds to a nice little action point. The last issue is wild with like, it's exactly the kind of climactic issue you want to get. Like the pacing and like in that regard is very, very good. Like this is a comic that says in a, in a, a blurb on the cover, all vampire action. And yes, it is. Yeah, you ain't kidding. It is all vampire action. The the one part where I think it maybe like goes way too fast is in the second issue when Milo Deep is on the private jet that all of the like the corporate lackeys are on, and the CEO is like on there. But then she immediately decides to leave, and we don't ever get like an ex- we don't get an explanation there of like why she goes from "I am here on the plane" to suddenly being like, "Now I am not going to be on the plane. I have to leave now." Yeah, we get an answer to that in the next issue, but it happens very abruptly here, and th- then he does a thing where he makes the plane fly really high so that the sun is visible. Yeah, he goes over to the horizon line. He goes over the horizon line so that the, the sun is visible so that everybody on the plane, all the vampires on the plane die. But Ms. Rubrik's not there because she got some kind of tip, and we don't get an explanation of that tip until later. Spoiler warning, she got tipped off by... Marilyn or Mary Lynn who has ulterior motives. The big twist of the story is that Mary Lynn Josephs, Mary Ann Joseph, she didn't want to destroy the corporation. She wanted to get involved in it so that uh, she could get a made into a vampire herself to, I think, her plan is to cure her AIDS, which she has. Yeah, I've, I, we, I feel like both of us were trying to, to not, like, we were trying to avoid that as long as possible, Matt. It is, it is a key plot point. Yeah, so the progression of that, real, real quick, yes, you're right, this, that scene is a little confusing as to what goes on. I think part of that, though, is from character design. Because the weirdest thing about this book is that Nikita dresses like a superhero. Like she dresses like she's in the Wildcats. She she definitely she dresses like a nineteen ninety two superhero specifically. Yeah. She has like a costume that looks like she's got like a like a, a headpiece like Gambit has. She's got like yeah. you know and armor she's got, and she's got that uh, like the the microphone thing, like the Britney Spears microphone. Uh-huh. But, but in 1992, they were huge. Uh huh. She's got one of those. Like she's about to fly a helicopter. It's like she's about to fly a helicopter. Yeah. Meanwhile, Wide does not like like he he's a 90s action hero, so he wears like a trench coat. He wears and a his, big coat. 
Yeah. His only real, like, he's got long hair and a trench coat. And so his only real defining features are he wears this giant, he wears this giant crucifix bolo tie, which <laughs> I have questions. Uh, and also he wears a gauntlet that they melted down the Holy Grail and made it into a gauntlet for punching vampires. Again, this rules, but also it's, it's like kind of hard to tell because it's black and white and the, the gauntlet is not shaded any differently from his other hand. And he right. wears a long sleeve coat, so you can't really see it. So it's like, I didn't realize he was the delivery man in that scene until I like flipped back and, and reread it to try and figure out what's going on. It being black and white, it is hard to tell characters apart sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I, there were parts where I could not tell Ms. Rubric from Marianne at all. Yeah. And so there's a part where like, Marianne reveals her... Mary Lynn. Is it Mary Lynn? Mary okay. Lynn. Okay. Mary Lynn reveals her, like, duplicity. The fact that she was just using deep and wide to get in with the corporation. Then, deep, like, attacks a bunch of, a bunch of vampires and gets with a woman on an elevator. And that woman he's with is Ms. Rubric. It's not Mary Lynn, but for a while I thought that's who it was, and that she was doing like a double cross to her double cross, because mm-hmm. Ms. Rubric helps him for some reason for a little while. Well, she has to get she's, them. She, she's tricking him. Yeah, she's the way she's going to get in with the the Vampire Corporation, L- Lamia, Lamia Corporation. Lamia Corporation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is she gets in with Deep and Wide, who have killed a ton of vampires already, they're experienced vampire hunters, and then deliver them to the bad guys. So she's got to help them a little bit. This I've, I found this in the first issue. This is uh, Wide's backstory, Nikita Wide. I was born in Romania, came to this country to compete in the Ms. Olympia contest. Money ran out quickly. So she ran out of money. That's why that stopped. Okay, so that's it. That's it. Luckily, a pharmaceutical company offered to pick up the sponsorship for myself and four other girls. A company owned by Harlan Sorok. All we had to do was agree to test a new vitamin supplement Sorok Pharmaceuticals had developed. They, they kept us there for observation. I was the first to wake up. At least that's what I thought. But the others weren't going to wake up. They were dead. And I had changed. I tore through the locked door like it was balsa wood and made my way towards the lab. I snuck into the lab. There stood Sorok surveying his handiwork with one of his assistants. I was on him before he knew it. She said she killed him. She clearly didn't. Yeah. And then she was attacked by Maraud uh, then. And that's, that's her whole backstory. Yeah, and the the experimental treatment made her that she do, made her so that she doesn't have a heartbeat anymore. Yeah, and she's also super strong and bulletproof. I mean, she was she was like jacked to shit before. Yeah, but now she's super strong. Now she can bur- burst through doors like they're balsa wood. Um, there's also like a little bit of nudity in that sequence that I did not notice the first time through because oh. it is very kind of like crudely drawn. Oh, I did not notice that either. <laughs> So that's you know maybe that maybe makes this a little more mature readers than uh, than I originally thought, but it, it's not like you know a, a lot of Vertigo comics nudity. It's 
it, it doesn't need to be there at all. And again, I didn't notice it until just now. There's a lot more of like that mature readers kind of stuff in the first issue than there is in any of the rest of it, <clears throat> which is a bit confusing. The art changes pretty drastically. I actually think the art in issues two, three, two through four is better than it is in the first issue. It's it's got that it it's like I really actually really like the art in two, three, and four because it's got that. 80s fantasy aesthetic or like 80s RPGs like it like this everything in here could be an illustration from a Shadowrun book mm-hmm. uh but like from a very specific time and I kind of like that like I like that in the same way that I like VHS covers in that like I don't want everything to be like that but I do have a definite nostalgia for for the art of the era you know yeah it is a very specific look. Boy, yeah, there is just a, just a little bit. This is what this is what HBO would describe as brief nudity. Uh-huh. And it is the only place that it exists throughout the whole book. It's fun. It does end in like some big cool action stuff. Uh, we find out that like part of that supplement treatment that Wyde got kind of made her into like. They call her a vamp. It's like a vampire who can turn back into a human and be around in daylight. But when she gets really mad, she becomes vampiric. Yeah. And uh, and Deep has to kind of like talk her down and get her back to normal. And also the caretaker, this happens in the third issue... The caretaker who is their boss shows up with a shovel, but that shovel turns into a huge cross. <laughs> turns into, like, a man-sized cross. And that uh, takes care of Maraud for a while. Yeah. Uh, the caretaker shows back up in the fourth issue. It does definitely seem like Clint had more plans for the caretaker. Hey, Matt? Yes, sir? Have you noticed that we introduced the AIDS thing and then just promptly... <laughs> Like moved on to other topics so that we wouldn't have to talk about it. I mean, that's kind of what this does too. Like it just it just has AIDS in here because at first Mary Lynn says that it was her brother who died who had AIDS. Yeah, the, she gets in contact with Deep and Wide because her brother was killed by vampires, and she says, "Oh, it's because he was looking into them because he had AIDS and wanted to become a vampire so he wouldn't die." <sighs> Comics of the era, man. Comics of the uh, era. Which okay, and then then come to find out, she was lying. Yes. She was the one who had AIDS, and her brother was the one looking into the vampires to cure her. And it was she. He was killed by the vampires because like they didn't like him snooping around. Yeah, they they thought he was investigating them trying to bring them down, but he wasn't. He was trying to find out how he could join up. Yeah. But then she gets in with Deep and Wide and she sees her opening to get involved with Lumia. And and does. But uh, you know, it all falls apart. I will say this. The AIDS thing in here. It's not as it's not good, no. Uh, because it like the, like especially like in the early nineties, like I feel like there was 
like a lot of like mainstream media was starting to kind of realize like what was actually going on, but it's not sensationalized like it is with, I think the other infamous AIDS vampire story we've talked about, which is the hemogoblin. Like it's, it's not sensationalized like that. It's not sensationalized. Like when shadow Hawk like reveals that he's uh, HIV positive in that book, but it, it could be anything. It could, it could be anything terminal. It could be cancer, and you would, and we would not be having this discussion. It would have to be a blood disease, but it could be any blood disease. But it, do, but it doesn't have to be. It does not have to be a blood disease because that doesn't it. It doesn't come up. Like it's only like I think that's why it's in there. But it also, like, it. It doesn't come up other than, the, than when they're getting ready to turn into the vampire. The vampire's like, well, I don't want to drink too much of that. Which, like, oof. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, he could have been a hemophiliac. Or she could have been a hemophiliac, you know? Yeah. It, 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 just, it just happened to be that this was 1992. And that was the disease to have somebody be. Yeah. But it's like it, you're right. It could be anything. It's it's not connected to anything inherent to AIDS. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think it kind of like it, it unintentionally because because that's what it is. Because it's not like leukemia or or hemophilia or anything. It's hey, watch out for watch out for those people with AIDS because they they <laughs> might want to turn into vampires on you. Yeah. And I don't think that was the intent. I cert- like again, we have heard that dude talk quite a lot i don't think that was the intent but i do think that is an unfortunate side effect especially looking back on it from 28 years later well there's a couple of things in here where it's like it's clearly well-meaning for 1992 Mm -hmm. but reading it 28 years later you're kind of like okay yeah because like nobody ever like only the vampire ever says anything like like, nobody ever says oh wow scotty had aids huh like nobody brings it up they're just like oh yeah so he was so he was terminal that sucks yeah yeah so there's another element of this that I think is the last element of the story that we should bring up. There's a group of vampires that bananas <laughs> that Nikita meets. They're called the Brotherhood of Abstinence. And their whole deal is they don't drink human blood. They have chosen as vampires not to drink human blood. And Somehow they say they got away with for years by just drinking animal blood, which I do not think works. I don't think vampires could do that in vampire mythology. <laughs> no, because it's about it's 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 not specifically like it's not the blood that's the thing. It's the it's it's that they are are people who suck the life out of like that's the metaphor behind it. But yes, yeah. they they take the life from human beings. They're they're cannibalistic. Mm-hmm. But these vampires got by on human blood for, or on animal blood for a long time. Now they drink synthetic blood. And when Nikita meets them, she's primed to fight them because they're vampires. And they basically say, "What do you think? All vampires are bad? Just like you? Th- like that's a stereotype? Just like?" And then they name a couple of stereotypes. Yeah. And. The intent of that is very good, right? The intent is you shouldn't stereotype people. Yeah, and the intent is also like, hey, th- you know, some 
some... Anyway, yes, yes, that's what it is, yes. But the terminology used is not the terminology that one would want to use now. No. No. You'd want to be like, Clint, that's not the word anymore. Also, it's so weird to have this, like, again, nominally be a story that incorporates AIDS, and then also have a group called the Brotherhood of Abstinence. And I'm like, was Clint super bored playing PSAs at the radio station one day? (laughs) And he was like... "Uh, like, huh? What, if, what about what about vampires? Like, like what was the like what was the process of deciding that like those specific elements? I don't know. Notably, and this is one way you know it's definitely a Clint McElroy thing. This miniseries ends on a fourth wall breaking gag. Yeah, there's Which one vampire they fail to kill. He starts flying away as a bat. Wide sh- or deep shoots him with a like a stake from a stake gun, and then says directly to us, the reader, "Get serious! You didn't really think we were going to end it that way, did you?" Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Can we just real quick before we rank it talk about the best part of this comic in a walk? Uh, please. In addition to owning the drive-in movie theater. Uh, what what Milo Deep's real ambition is, is to buy this barbecue place right outside of town. Oh, baby, incredible sauce. You see, it's in the sauce. Any smoke can cook meat, but true barbecue comes from the sauce. I prefer a mustard-based sauce, because mustard brings out the flavor. It doesn't hide it. Hell yes, Clint McElroy, hell yes. What horrible sacrilege. We may not be able to rank this because I disagree so strongly with this take that mustard-based sauce is the best sauce. Mm. Until mm. you start talking about vinegar, Clint, uh, you can you can. I, I I will write a scathing review of your work. How about that? I can't, Matt. That's listen. You know, in order to get to the mustard-based, he had to drive through. The vinegar-based territory. Even more insulting. I can't believe it. Yeah, he'll what drive. He'll drive past to get to, to get to that South Carolina barbecue. Unbelievable. Mm. All right, Chris. It's time to rank. Blood is the harvest. What do you think? I mean, it's it's fun. It's very 1992. It's it's very 1992. It's very action movie. But here's the thing, Matt. It's played like with the with the the half vampire and with like the synthetic blood and like the the oh I actually wanted to be a vampire so I betrayed you. It's fucking Blade, dude. It's it's Blade parentheses 1998, uh, comma Guillermo del Toro. He he directed Blade two, not the first one. Oh, who directed the first one? I know David Goyer directed the third one. I'll have to look up who directed the first one. But David Goyer wrote the first one, and I think there is a non-zero chance that that motherfucker read Blood of the Harvest. Stephen Norrington was the director of the first one. Ah, yeah, Stevie Nor. Do you think Clint has a case? I mean, like, no. Because, (laughs) Because I also don't think it is... No offense to, honestly, no offense to Clint and 
no offense to David Goyer, which has been a few years since I've said that one, uh, it's not difficult to kind of make the leaps that each one leaps or that, that each one makes. But it's also like it's basically the same. Like like Milo Milo Deep has a like shotgun that shoots stakes. Yeah. Uh, and like Nikita's essentially a daywalker who goes feral at one point, which again, not difficult to make those leaps, but this one did it six years before Blade. Yeah, but instead of a daywalker scenario, the Nikita thing is that she's a synthetic vampire. Yes. That's that's the whole idea of this. And and what the Lumio Corporation wants to do is create new synthetic vampires who can be up and around during the day. Right. But, because the reason vampires haven't taken over the world is because they, they can't be active during daytime, during normal business hours. <laughs> yeah, which must have made it very hard to get this corporation going. Yeah. It's East Coast, though, so... Sure. It's a fun book. I, I do think... I mean, it's as much Blade the movie 1998 as Blade the comic character from, you know, Marvel Comics. I would say it's it's closer to Blade the movie than the 90s era Blade was to the comics. Okay. Or the, 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 the 90s comics era Blade was to the movie. But like I, I I do think though that like you could you could argue that deep and wide are the the comic character Blade split into two characters. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. The 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 difference is the kind of like Sometimes endearing, sometimes cringy, Quint McElroy, cutesy, funny dialogue that's throughout this. Like, like everything that Deep says. The fact that they call vampires ticks. I thought that was fun. They refer, to them, they refer to them as tick. Like I said, it's uh, probably 75% fun, 25% cringy. Which isn't a bad ratio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got some deep and wide flaws, <laughs> but I don't like regret. Like it's a breezy read. I read this in like an hour, and I think I also took Biscuit out for a walk in that time. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, it's it's a very quick read. Yeah, and you, I'm sure you can grab it. Like if if your local shop uh, has a a deep and wide uh, back issue section, I'm sure you can find it. But like. I don't regret the time that I spent reading it. No, n- neither do I. Uh, neither do I. Um, I don't think this is going to be in like the top half of the list. It's probably going to be, you know, like the seven hundreds somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think this ranks against? I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but like at seven forty two, seven forty three, we have. Detroit Metal City and Break the Chain. Also, I think like like Matt weirdly comparable. Detroit Metal yeah. City, a deeply flawed, but like also like like I don't I don't know if I would ever recommend it to anyone, but I certainly enjoyed reading it. Yeah, it's it's similarly flawed but fun, I think. I think I you kind of nailed the general area, right? Yeah, I think it goes like, in here somewhere. Well, do we like 
do we like this more than we like the Purple Kid story from Daredevil? Because that's at 761. <sighs> probably. Yeah, I mean, I probably, probably. I probably liked it. <laughs> Matt, are we going to rank it higher than a contract with God? Are we prepared to say Clint McElroy is a better comics writer than Will Eisner? That's not what we'd be saying. We'd be saying this story is better than that story. <laughs> we could put it below that, though. We could definitely I mean, like, put it below that. Well, look at look at stuff that's above it. I I think it's it has the similar fun to cringe ratio as formerly known as the Justice League. Yeah, it's probably not as good as Superman and Batman Adventures World's Finest because that's that's just not what you want it to be, kind of. But it's probably better than the. I mean, it's probably on par with the. Chris Burnham, uh, Bird in the Hand, uh, Batman Incorporated story with Batman Fan. Again, similarly kind of goofy, fun, sort of a one-off. Definitely trying to start a franchise that never quite got off the ground. But the, DC could have committed to that one. They could have. I think it... Okay. I think this is better than Officer Down, for sure. That's I think my floor, probably, yeah. Yeah. It's as much of its time as Doom Force is. Agreed. And honestly, not as mean as Doom Force. Yeah. I mean, I think it's better than the Purple Kid story. All right. Um, we, l- we learn more about the characters. That's true. We we know that, that Wide wanted to be Miss Olympia, and we know that Deep wanted a barbecue restaurant. We definitely don't know... Why Lisa Rubric like turns on him, but like turns on for the vampires? Well, she doesn't. It she is baiting Milo Deep into the room where uh, her yeah, boss like, is in a coffin. After that, though, like there's that that bit where he's like, she's like, "Yeah, I'm carving my initial onto you, so that after they're done with you, I'll get you." And then he's like, well, what are you going to do with me? And then she's like, huh? and then she walks away and then she gets away at the end. Yeah, it's her most a lot of her behavior is not easy to explain because she also leaves behind all those vampires on the airplane. Like yes. she is tipped off by Mary Lynn that deep is on that airplane and she leaves. But she also doesn't bother to save anybody else who was on the plane. Yeah. Her behavior is very strange. She doesn't make what I would call a ton of sense. Um, yeah. I mean, I th- I think it should go at 756. I think it should go above formerly known as the Justice League. Okay, that's where it'll go. I'm I'm fi- th- That means it's also going above a contract with God? <laughs> yes, it is. We're merely chipping away the marble, folks. The list exists, folks. Blood is the harvest. And I will put in parentheses 1992. So that we don't think it's the 1950 anti-communist propaganda comic. Yeah. Which we will never rank, I'm sure, but want to make that distinction. Well, I mean, if if people want us to rank it, like put it on the list for every story ever, but also send us $695, because that is how much Blood is the Harvest costs at mycomicshop.com. Yeah, it's, it's not cheap. It is an expensive book because it is extremely rare. Yeah. And it has not been digitized. Uh, meanwhile, Blood is the Harvest number one through four, those are $2 each. Cheap. Slightly less than cover price. The cover price on these is two fifty. 
All right, that's going to do it for Comics Catch-Up for October. We we found the perfect spooky book to read. It's all vampire action. Uh, but we will be doing a, a, a survey, a poll, for what to read in November. So if you have something to recommend for us to read in November for Comics Catch-Up, hit us up on Twitter, at War Rocket Podcast on Twitter, or go to warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com, or email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. Those are all places where you can make suggestions for what we could catch up on next in November. This show and all the other shows we do is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash warrocketajax. If you head there, you can kick in as little as $1 a month to make sure we keep doing this monthly, that we do War Rocket Ajax every week, that we do Every Story Ever every month, and that we do Movie Fighters and Snack Situation. Uh, those are all supported by your help on Patreon. If you're unable to help us on Patreon, hey, look, we get it. A five-star review for the show would be a big help for us on the podcasting app of your choice. And Chris, I think that's all I had to get through. I think so, Matt. Uh, hey, just again, quick message to Clint McElroy. Uh, if if you want to make fun of my vampire comic, that's fine. Like that's that's only fair. Like I'll, I'll even get you started. Like it it definitely didn't take ten years for four issues of Blood of the Harvest to come out. Wow, uh, great opening line, Clint. Yeah. You can also make fun of my uh, disaster comic. Everything will be okay. It is available for eight measly bucks in total on Comixology now. The full series, you can buy the digital trade paperback for eight bucks. It's coming out in print November 25th. Have a uh, appropriately spooky Halloween. Everybody stay safe out there. Uh, and, uh, and, oh no, a ghost. Ah, Matt was a ghost all along. Woo! Happy Halloween. We love you. We love you.